0: Human Nature and Conduct by John Dewey. Part Three, Section Nine The Present and Future Dealing with Subordination of Activity to Result, Control of the Future, Production and Consummation, Idealism and Distant Goals. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by William Jones. Over and over again one point has recurred for criticism, the subordination of activity to a result outside itself. Whether that goal be thought of as pleasure, as virtue, as perfection, as final enjoyment of salvation, it is secondary to the fact that the moralists who have asserted fixed ends have, in all their differences from one another, agreed in the basic idea that present activity is but a means we have insisted that happiness reasonableness virtue and perfecting are on the contrary parts of the present significance of present action memory of the past observation of the present foresight of the future are indispensable but they are indispensable to a present liberation an enriching growth of action. Happiness is fundamental in morals only because happiness is not something to be sought for, but is something now attained, even in the midst of pain and trouble, whenever recognition of our ties with nature and with fellow-men releases and informs our action. Reasonableness is a necessity because it is the perception of the continuities that take action out of its immediateness and isolation into connection with the past and future. Perhaps the criticism and insistence have been too incessant. They may have provoked the reader to reaction. He may readily conclude that orthodox theories have been one-sided in sacrificing the present to the future good, making of the present but an onerous obligation, or a sacrifice endured for future gain. But why, he may protest, go to an opposite extreme, and make the future but a means to the significance of the present? Why should the power of foresight and effort to shape the future, and to regulate what is to happen, be slighted? Is not the effect of such a doctrine to weaken putting forth of endeavor in order to make the future better than the present? Control of the future may be limited in extent, but it is correspondingly precious. We should jealously cherish whatever encourages and sustains effort to that end. To make little of this possibility, in effect, it will be argued, is to decrease the care and endeavor upon which progress depends control of the future is indeed precious in exact proportion to its difficulty and its moderate degree of attainability anything that actually tends to make that control less than it now is would be a movement backward into sloth and triviality but there is a difference between future improvement as a result and as a direct aim To make it an aim is to throw away the surest means of attaining it, namely attention to the full use of present resources in the present situation. Forecast of future conditions and scientific study of past and present, in order that the forecast may be intelligent, are indeed necessities concentration of intellectual concern upon the future, and solicitude for scope and precision of estimate, characteristic of any well-conducted affair, naturally give the impression that their animating purpose is control of the future. But thought about future happenings is the only way we can judge the present. It is the only way to appraise its significance. Without such projection, There can be no projects, no plans for administering present energies and overcoming present obstacles. Deliberately to subordinate the present to the future is to subject the comparatively secure to the precarious, exchange resources for liabilities, surrender what is under control to what is relatively incapable of control. The amount of control which will come into existence in the future, is not within control. But such an amount as turns out to be practicable accrues only in consequence of the best possible management of present means and obstacles. Dominating intellectual preoccupation with the future is the way by which efficiency in dealing with the present is attained. It is a way, not a goal, and upon the very most hopeful outlook study and planning are more important in the meaning the enrichment of content which they add to present activity than is the increase of external control they effect nor is this doctrine pacifistic in tendency what sense is there in increased external control except to increase the intrinsic significance of living the future that is foreseen is a future that is sometime to be a present is the value of that present also to be postponed to a future date and so on indefinitely or if the good we are struggling to attain in the future is one to be actually realized when that future becomes present why should not the good of this present be equally precious And is there, again, any intelligent way of modifying the future except to attend to the full possibilities of the present? Scamping the present in behalf of the future leads only to rendering the future less manageable. It increases the probability of molestation by future events. Remarks cast in this form probably seem to much like a logical manipulation of the concepts of present and future to be convincing. Building a house is a typical instance of an intelligent activity. It is an activity directed by a plan, a design. The plan is itself based upon a foresight of future uses. This foresight is in turn dependent upon an organized survey, of past experiences and of present conditions a recollection of former experiences of living in houses and an acquaintance with present materials prices resources etc now if a legitimate case of subordination of present to regulation of the future may anywhere be found it is in such a case as this for a man usually builds a house for the sake of the comfort and security, the control thereby afforded to future living, rather than just for the fun or the trouble of building. If in such a case inspection shows that, after all, intellectual concern with the past and future is for the sake of directing present activity and giving it meaning, the conclusion may be accepted for other cases note that the present activity is the only one really under control the man may die before the house is built or his financial conditions may change or he may need to remove to another place if he attempts to provide for all contingencies he will never do anything if he allows his attention to be much distracted by them he won't do well his present planning and execution the more he considers the future uses to which the house will probably be put the better he will do his present job which is the activity of building control of future living such as that may turn out to be is fully dependent upon taking his present activity seriously and devotedly as an end not as a means and a man has his hands full in doing well, what now needs to be done? Until men have formed the habit of using intelligence fully as a guide to present action, they will never find out how much control of future contingencies is possible. As things are, men so habitually scamp the present action in behalf of future ends— that the facts for estimating the extent of the possibility of reduction of future contingencies have not been disclosed. What a man is doing limits both his direct control and his responsibility. We must not confuse the act of building with the house when built. The latter is a means, not a fulfillment, but it is such only because it enters into a new activity which is present not future life is continuous the act of building in time gives way to the acts connected with a domicile but everywhere the good the fulfilment the meaning of activity resides in a present made possible by judging existing conditions in their connections If we seek for an illustration on a larger scale, education furnishes us with a poignant example. As traditionally conducted, it strikingly exhibits a subordination of the living present to a remote and precarious future. To prepare, to get ready, is its keynote. The actual outcome is lack of adequate preparation, of intelligent adaptation. The professed exaltation of the future turns out in practice to be a blind following of tradition, a rule of thumb muddling along from day to day, or, as in some of the projects called industrial education, a determined effort on the part of one class of the community to secure its future at the expense of another class." If education were conducted as a process of fullest utilization of present resources, liberating and guiding capacities that are now urgent, it goes without saying that the lives of the young would be much richer in meaning than they are now. It also follows that intelligence would be kept busy in studying all indications of power, all obstacles and perversions, all products of the past that throw light upon the present capacity, And in foreseeing the future career of impulse and habit now active, not for the sake of subordinating the latter, but in order to treat them intelligently. As a consequence, whatever fortification and expansion of the future that is possible will be achieved, as it is now, dismally unattained. The more complicated instance is found in the dominant quality of our industrial activity. It may be dogmatically declared that the roots of its evils are found in the separation of production from consumption, that is, actual consummation or fulfillment. A normal case of the relationship is found in the taking of food. Food is consumed and vigor is produced. The difference between the two is one of directions or dimensions distinguished by intellect. In reality, There is simply conversion of energy from one form to another, wherein it is more available of greater significance. The activity of the artist, the sportsman, the scientific inquirer, exemplifies this same balance. Activity should be productive. That is to say, it should have a bearing on the future, should affect control of it. But so far as a productive action is intrinsically creative, It has its own intrinsic value. Reference to future products and future enjoyments is but a way of enhancing perception of an imminent meaning. A skilled artisan who enjoys his work is aware that what he is making is made for future use. Externally, his action is one technically labeled production. It seems to illustrate the subjection of present activity to remote ends but actually morally psychologically the sense of the utility of the article produced is a factor in the present significance of action due to the present utilization of abilities giving play to taste and skill accomplishing something now the moment production is severed from immediate satisfaction it becomes labor drudgery a task reluctantly performed Yet the whole tendency of modern economic life has been to assume that consumption will take care of itself provided that only production is grossly and intensely attended to. Making things is frantically accelerated and every mechanical device used to swell the senseless bulk. As a result, most workers find no replenishment, no renewal and growth of mind, no fulfillment in work they labor to get mere means of later satisfaction this when procured is isolated in turn from production it is reduced to a barren physical affair or a sensuous compensation for normal goods denied meantime the fatuity of severing productions from consumption from present enriching of life is made evident by economic crises, by periods of unemployment, alternating with periods of exercise, work, or overproduction. Production, apart from fulfillment, becomes purely a matter of quantity. For distinction, quality is a matter of present meaning, aesthetic elements being excluded, the mechanical reign. Production lacks criteria. One thing is better than another if it can be made faster or in greater mass. Leisure is not the nourishment of mind in work, nor a recreation. It is a feverish hurry for diversion, excitement, or display. Otherwise there is no leisure, except a sodden torpor. Fatigue, due for some to monotony and for others to overstrain in maintaining the pace, is inevitable socially the separation of production and consumption means and ends is the root of the most profound division of classes those who fix the ends for production are in control those who engage in isolated productive activity are the subject class but if the latter are oppressed the former are not truly free their consumptions are accidental ostentation and extravagance not a normal consummation or fulfillment of activity the remainder of their lives is spent in enslavement to keeping the machinery going at an increasingly rapid rate meanwhile class struggle grows between those whose productive labor is enforced by necessity and those who are privileged consumers and the exaggeration of production due to its isolation from ignored consumption, so hypnotizes attention that even would-be reformers, like Marxian socialists, assert that the entire social problem focuses at the point of production. Since this separation of means from ends signifies an erection of means into ends, it is no wonder that a materialistic conception of history emerges. It is not an invention of Marx, it is a record of fact, so far as the separation in question obtains. For practicable, idealism is found only in fulfillment, a consumption which is replenishing, growth, and renewal of mind and body. Harmony of social interests, is found in the world-wide sharing of activities significant in themselves that is to say at the point of consumption footnote nine acknowledgment is due the social interpretation of history by maurice williams End of footnote. but the forcing of production apart from consumption leads to the monstrous belief that class struggle civil war is a means of social progress instead of a register of the barriers to its attainment. Yet here, too, the Marxian reads aright the character of most current economic activity. The history of economic activity thus exemplifies the moral consequences of the separation of present activity and future ends from each other. It also embodies the difficulty of the problem. The text placed by it upon thought and goodwill, for the professed idealists and the hard-headed materialist or practical man have conspired together to sustain this situation the idealist sets up as the ideal not fullness of meaning of the present but a remote goal hence the present is evacuated of meeting it is reduced to being a mere external instrument An evil necessity due to the distance between us and significant valid satisfaction appreciation joy and peace in present activity are suspect they are regarded as diversions temptations and unworthy relaxations then since human nature must have present realization a sentimental romantic enjoyment of the ideal becomes a substitute for intelligent and rewarding activity. The utopia cannot be realized, in fact, but it may be appropriated in fantasy and serve as an anodyne to blunt the sense of a misery which, after all, endures. Some private key to a present entering upon remote and superior bliss is sought, just as the evangelical enjoys a complacent, and superior sense of a salvation unobtained by fellow-mortals thus the normal demand for realization for satisfaction in the present is abnormally met meantime the practical man wants something definite tangible and presumably obtainable for which to work he is looking after a good thing as the average man is looking after a good time that natural caricature of an intrinsically significant activity yet his activity is impractical he is looking for satisfaction somewhere else than where it can be found in his utopian search for a future good he neglects the only place where good can be found he empties present activity of meaning by making it a mere instrumentality when the future arrives it is only after all another despised present by habit as well as by definition it is still a means to something which has yet to come again human nature must have its claims satisfied and sensuality is the inevitable recourse usually a compromise is worked out by which a man for his working hours accepts the philosophy of activity for some future result, while at odd leisure times he enters, by conventionally recognized channels, upon an enjoyment of spiritual blessings and ideal refinements. The problem of serving God and mammon is thus solved. The situation exemplifies the concrete meaning of the separation of means and ends, which is the intellectual reflex of the divorce of theory and practice intelligence and habit and foresight and present impulse moralists have spent time and energy in showing what happens when appetite and impulse is indulged without reference to consequences and reason but they have mostly ignored the counterpart evils of an intelligence that conceives ideals and goods which do not enter into present impulse and habit the life of reason has been specialized romanticized or made a heavy burden this situation embodies the import of the problem of actualizing the place of intelligence in conduct our whole account of the place of intelligence in conduct is exposed however to the charge of being itself romantic a compensatory idealization the history of mind is a record of intellect which registers with more or less inaccuracy what has happened after it has happened the crisis in which the intervention of foreseeing and directing mind is needed passes unnoted with attention directed toward incidentals and irrelevancies the work of intellect is post-mortem the rise of social science it will be pointed out has increased the amount of registering that occurs. Social post-mortems occur much more frequently than they used to. But one of the things which the unbiased mind will register is the impotency of discussion, analysis, and reporting in modifying the course of events. The latter goes its way unheeding. The reply that this condition of matters shows not the impotency of intelligence, but that what it passes for science is not science, is too easy a retort to be satisfactory. We must have recourse to some concrete facts, or surrender our doctrine, just at the moment when we have formulated it. Technical affairs give evidence that the work of inquiry, reporting, and analysis is not always ineffectual the development of a chain of nationwide tobacco shops, of a well-managed national telephone system, of the extension of the service of an electric light plant, testify to the fact that study, reflection, and the formation of plans do, in some instances, determine a course of events. The effect is seen in both engineering management and in national commercial expansion such potency however it must be admitted is limited to just those matters that are called technical in contrast with the larger affairs of humanity but if we seek as we should for a definition of technical we can hardly find any save one that goes in a circle affairs are technical in which observation analysis and intellectual organization are determining factors is the conclusion to be drawn that a conviction that our wider social interests are so different from those in which intelligence is a directing factor that in the former science must always remain a belated visitor coming upon the scene after matters are settled no the logical conclusion is that as yet we have no technique in important economic political and international affairs Complexity of conditions render the difficulties in the way of the development of a technique enormous. It is imaginable they will never be overcome. But our choice is between the development of a technique, by which intelligence will become an intervening partner, and a continuation of a regime of accident, waste, and distress. End of Part 3 Section 9. The Present and Future. End of Human Nature and Conduct. Part 3. By John Dewey.